Islam. They're not Rome. Okay, so this is Shush, which is in Iran right now. All right. <clears throat> Let's go back to reading that. As I looked up, I saw a ram with two long horns standing beside the river. One of the horns was longer than the other, even though it had grown later than the other one. Now, again, what are these two horns? Medo-Persian Empire, the Medes and the Persians. All right. The ram, which, who is Persians today? Iran. Who are the Medes today? Turkey-ish? Turkey-ish, not like, not the boundaries, but that way, okay? Um, The ram butted everything out of his way to the west, to the north, and to the south, okay? So the the ram is coming across, um, and he butts everything out of the way. This is, this is, um, uh, Medo-Persian, so this is in, it starts in Iran, and he butts everything out of the way to the west. What's to the west of Iran? Israel. What's to the north of Iran? Russia. Um, yeah, Russia. Um, it's, you know, it's hard for us to say that with just these countries, exactly, you know. And then to the south of Iran. Guys, geography is strong with us. (laughs) Yeah. Saudi Arabia, yeah. And no one could stand against him or help his victims. So he's butting everything out of the way into these areas, which means he's butting into these areas also. Okay, and nothing, nobody could do anything. He did as he pleased, and he became very great. And um, <clears throat> and I believe that that even now we're seeing that same kind of thing, right? While I was watching, suddenly a male goat appeared from the west. So where's from the west? Israel. <clears throat> Crossing the land so swiftly, he didn't even touch the ground. This goat which had one very large horn between its eyes, headed toward the two-horned ram that I had seen standing beside the river, rushing at him in rage. The goat charged furiously at the ram and struck him, breaking off both of his horns. Now the ram was helpless, and the goat knocked him down and trampled him. Who is the goat? No. We'll get to it. He'll tell us. No one could rescue the ram from the goat's power. The goat became very powerful, but at the height of his power... His large horn was broken off. In the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. Now, we talked about this last time. This is is the same thing, I believe, that's going on in Daniel 2 with the four-headed leper. Okay? Not a leper. It's a total different thing. All right? So so who is is the four-headed leopard? In Daniel 2, I mean, I'm, saying, I'm sorry, Daniel 7, it's the same thing that is the, um, uh, the third kingdom in Daniel 2. They're all the same thing, following down through here. Third kingdom in Daniel 2 is Greece. Second is Medo-Persian. Okay, so second one in, in Daniel 2 is Medo-Persian Empire and then Greece. Okay, same thing in, San, in, in a 7, 
uh, we see Greece and then, I mean, uh, Persia, Medo-Persia, and then Greece. And we're seeing the exact same thing here. Um, but now we're seeing it where he is talking about the power and the force of it. It's not just what it, what it represents, like an armor and, and the kind of metal and stuff like that. Now we're seeing the force, the power of it. So this goat strikes um, Medo-Persia and strikes it so hard and then just tramples all over it because that's Greece. That's Greece. Yes, that's Alexander the Great. Okay? <clears throat> all right. Um, in the large horns place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. We talked about that these four directions are those four families of the, um, of the, the um, uh, descendants of Alexander the Great. Okay? Um, since everybody's doing so well, let me ask you this um, easy question. Uh, who, what, are these, what are these four um, um, uh, families? What are these four kingdoms from, uh, these, that, from Greece? They come from Alexander the Great. Yes. That's all it sparked in you there? Just okay? <laughs> okay. Ptolemy? Seleucid? Okay. <clears throat> and so you see this covers this whole area. And then that's where we see um, Antigonus, Epiphanes, um, I mean, he's, he's older than all these other guys. He's more powerful. He's got all this other stuff. And he, um, he, invade, he attacks um, into is Jerusalem, and he, and he goes in and tears up the temple as a, um, as a, um, like a pre-view of the Antichrist, okay? Now, what are the, some of the reasons that, that I mentioned that we, that we know this cannot be? He's not the Antichrist, Okay, um, Christ hasn't come back yet. That has to happen. Remember in Daniel 2, the rock hits the toes and destroys all the kingdoms. Right? Okay, so we know that hasn't happened yet. Um, an another one is, and this is just me um, saying this. When you, when you look at history, in fact, I was in a, a bookstore. I was up in Denver. I had some time to uh, spend today. So I went into Barnes and Nobles, and they had some history books on Alexander the Great and the people that came after it. Was, I almost got one. I should have got it, but it was like 40 books. But it was a, a very large dictionary of all of the, um, the empires from the world in time and all the descendants of those empires. So I was looking at this stuff in there, and it was, it was interesting because this says, look at this, um, uh, in the large horn's place grew four prominent horns pointing in the four directions of the earth. Okay? That, that, that's those uh, four kingdoms, right? Or four families of, of Alexander the Great. Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn. This is another clue that it can't, that Antigonus Epiphanes cannot be completely fulfilling this because he did not come as a small horn from the other four horns. He was already 
powerful. He was more powerful than the other four. Right? All right. Then from one of the prominent horns came a small horn whose power grew very great. It extended toward the south and the east, toward the glorious land of Israel. All right? Its power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army. And this is that sentence that, man, it just gets you, right? <clears throat> because it's, a, it's an outside our scope understanding. That's the way I look at it, okay? Its power reached to the heavens. This, this other horn, this antichrist, the, the antichrist, not the spirit of antichrist, this, its power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. And that's where I was talking about the, the counsel of God. Remember, in chapter 7, the counsel of God is watching this. God, uh, the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, and then the, the council, and then all the millions of attending angels and millions of the ministering angels and this council are watching this. And at some level... The, the um, Antichrist, and this is where I went to Revelation 12. I believe this is what's described in the second part of Revelation 12. That, that, that the, the Antichrist becomes possessed by Satan at the three and a half year mark of the tribulation. Okay? The, when this happens, I believe that this is what we're seeing described right here. And in Revelation 12, is, is Satan literally goes back into this council of God. Just like he did in Job. Now, I don't understand this. This does not make sense to me. I don't understand how Satan keeps having access here. If I'm God, in the first part of Revelation 12, when he's kicked out of heaven and he takes a third of the angels with him, I don't let him back. I don't let him revisit. But we see through Scripture where he revisits. Again, I don't understand it, but I think it's the... I think that, that this, this time when he's doing this, it's in, he's in, Satan is emboldened, emboldened by the um, Antichrist and what he's doing in the, in the uh, tribulation, specifically when he possesses the Antichrist at the three-and-a-half-year mark. Okay, so it says it, it, it even challenged the, commanders, the commander of heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying the temple. Now... Let's go back quickly to Revelation 12 so we can see what we're looking at here. Okay, verse 1. Then I witnessed in heaven another event of great significance. I saw a woman clothed with the sun, with the moon beneath her feet, and a crown of 12 stars on her head. She was pregnant, and she cried out because of her labor pains and the agony of giving birth. Then I witnessed in heaven another significant event. I saw a large red dragon with seven heads and ten horns, with seven crowns on his heads. His tail swept away one-third of the stars in the sky, and he threw them to the earth. He stood in front of the woman. Now, who's the woman? Israel. He stood in front of the woman, and she was about to give birth, ready to devour her baby as soon as it was born. And the baby is Jesus, but not just Jesus. It's also what? It's the beginning of the church. Okay? So to devour Jesus as soon as as it was born. So she gave birth to a son who would rule all nations with an iron rod. And that's Jesus. He he and her child was snatched away from the dragon and was caught up to God in his throne. Now remember, we were talking about different views of this. Some people believe that's the rapture. I don't believe that's the rapture. I believe that this is Jesus being resurrected. 
Okay? Um, and the woman fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. So, so the church has not been raptured yet because I believe this is Israel and the church. Okay? The, the, Jesus has been resurrected. But the, the woman flees, flee, fled into the wilderness where God had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. What is that 1260 days? Huh? Three and a half years. So she is being protected <clears throat> for three and a half years. Right? Which is, according to Scripture, when is the, the, the body of Christ, the Jews and the church, the people that are getting saved, when are they protected? First half of the tribulation. Guys, that, that's important. All that stuff to me is very important because that first 1260 days, that first half of the tribulation, um, she's being, the church is being taken care of, the, the Jews are being taken care of. Now, why is that important? Because now let's go back to uh, Daniel 8 when it says that, <clears throat> that um, uh, where it was, okay, it even challenged the commander of heaven's army. Now, first, let me back up to verse 10. Its power reached to the heavens. The power of the Antichrist, possessed by Satan, reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army. Now, I don't know if this means that somehow the Antichrist in, in physical form is also with Satan doing this. I, it, it does appear that it's saying that. I just can't wrap my head around that. I just I can't wrap my head around the physicalness, the physical Antichrist being in that council. I, I, and I don't see where Scripture would back that up. So to me what's happening is, is Satan is doing this with the power of the Antichrist, or the presence of the Antichrist. Its power reached to the heavens where it attacked the heavenly army, throwing some of the heavenly beings and some of the stars to the ground and trampling them. This, I believe this is the halfway point of the tribulation. It even challenged the commander of the heaven's army by canceling the daily sacrifices offered to him and by destroying his temple. When, when is the sacrifices stopped and the, the desecration or the destruction of the temple at the halfway point. Okay? So, <clears throat> let's go back to uh, Revelation 12. Because he just described this, um, what we just read there. So, the woman fled in the wilderness where they had prepared, to, had prepared a place to care for her for 1260 days. Then, verse 7, I believe this is not the same moment as uh, the first few verses of Revelation 12. I believe that is before the Garden of Eden. Third of the angels are pulled out of heaven, Satan and the third of the angels. That's before the Garden of Eden because Satan had already fallen before the Garden or he wouldn't have been tempting Adam and Eve. Right? I mean, that's kind of basic thinking. So then, verse 7, then the next thing, that's what that means, then the next event that happens is there was a war in heaven. Michael and his angels fought against the dragon and his angels. The dragon lost the battle and his, he and his angels were forced out of heaven. That is not the same forced out of heaven the first time. He keeps coming back. I don't know why. I don't know why God lets him. 
<clears throat> but we do see that happening. This great dragon, the ancient serpent called the devil or Satan, the one deceiving the whole world, was thrown down to the earth with all of his angels. I believe that's what we just saw in Daniel 8. The next battle in Daniel 8. That battle in Daniel 8 didn't happen before the Garden of Eden. We know that. And we know that, that, that Daniel is describing this as, as um, th this uh, middle, of the, middle of the tribulation. Okay? <clears throat> All right. The army of heaven was restrained from responding to this rebellion. Now, why? Why would the army of heaven not respond? Or how do we know that this is true? How do we know the army of heaven doesn't respond? Because there's still three and a half years to go. If they would have responded, this would have been over right then. Right? So the daily sacrifice was halted. When does that happen? Three and a half year mark. And truth was overthrown. The horn, or the Antichrist, succeeded in everything it did. Then I heard two holy ones talking to each other. One of them asked, and this is, I love this part, this is huge. One of them asked, how long will the events of this vision last? How long will the rebellion that causes desecration stop the daily sacrifices? How long will the temple of heaven's armies, of heaven's army be tra trampled on? Those are, those are three actually different events with different timelines. The other replied, it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings, then the temple will be made right again. When is the temple made right again? <clears throat> when Jesus puts it back together. At the end, when Jesus does this. Now, I read some stuff the other day that floored me that, <clears throat> that, um, that uh, theologians were saying this. Um, they said... That the temple, remember the temple, this is the way he said it. Remember the temple sacrifices are to God and they are holy. During this first three and a half years of tribulation. These temple sacrifices, remember it's in the temple. The temple's a holy place. They are to God. So they are, therefore they are holy sacrifices to God. There's a major problem with that. Who builds this temple? The Antichrist. Who's in charge of putting the sacrifices back in order? The Antichrist, the false prophet. Okay? This is not a godly thing. This is not a holy thing. Now, we do know in Ezekiel, when we get to chapter 38 and 39... This is when it's the, so this is after the battle of Gog and Magog, and they start building the temple. And we see the exact dimensions. I mean, that's the whole, I think it's like 39 and 40, maybe even 41. It's all building the temple. And we know that happens um, very quickly after the battle of Gog and Magog. So here's a question. What does this 2,300 days come to? 
1260 days in Revelation 12 are the, the first half of the tribulation, right? Double that, how long is that? Seven years. Okay? <clears throat> so, 2300 is not seven years. It's not three and a half years. It's about 6.3. So what's the problem? What, what is this 2300? What is this 2300 days? By the way, this is the first place in any prophetic stuff where we see exact days mentioned. We do see it much later. We see it often through Scripture. Um, but this is the first time we see 23. This is the first time we see a number, and it's 2,300. Now, what is the question that he asks again? How long will this stuff last? How long will the temple of heaven's armies be trampled on? He said it will take 2,300 evenings and mornings. Now, I've heard everybody out there give explanations of this, and, and I have not found one that's legit except one thing, and every now and then you'll see this pop up. This is what I believe. The 2,300 days is if you go from the end, because it says, how long will the temple of heavens are? So 2,300 days to the putting back of the temple. That's what we're talking about, right? Or making it right again. So if you back up, you still got about seven months that we don't know what to do with. Okay. Um, <clears throat> when does the temple start being built? No, 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 not that temple. That's a true answer. Yes. But that one's not really built. It just kind of lowers. Um, I'm talking about the temple in Ezekiel 38-39. After the war of Gog and Magog. There's a time frame of stuff. There's some things that happen after the war of Gog and Magog. They cannot happen before. They happen after. What are those things? Rapture? What else? Something has to start the tribulation. Signing of the peace treaty. So those things have to happen somewhere after the battle of Gog and Magog. Somewhere after the battle of Gog and Magog is when the temple uh, starts being built. It is not being built before that time frame. It starts after that. So here's what I think happens is somewhere in the signing of this peace treaty. Now, this is, some of this is me looking at the landscape of the Middle East and trying to figure some of this out. Okay? Because there's a big problem with the, with the temple being built. What's the big problem? The Dome of the Rock. The uh, Islam, none of the Islamic countries are ever, ever going to let Israel build on the Dome of the Rock. Right? We know that. That's never going to happen. But what does the Battle of Gog and Magog bring to the table? Destroys the armies of all of those countries. <clears throat> completely decimates the armies of all those countries to the point where it's months and months of the Israelites 
um, picking up and burying their dead bodies. And the way Ezekiel says it is, the only reason it, it only took that short of a time, like I think it says like um, eight or nine months or something like that, the reason it only took that time is because God sent many, many wild animals to eat the bodies. That's the only reason that they got it done as quick as they did. These are the armies of Iran, um, Russia, Magog is Russia, Iran, Russia, um, most of the Middle East countries, Egypt is not there. I've always found that interesting, and it's only been in the last 20 years that that kind of makes sense now. You think back into 1967, was it, when Egypt tried to um, invade Israel? And if you read that at that time frame, and you're going, well, Egypt can't not be in this war. And now, well, I guess it's more than 20 years, but in the last 20 years, Egypt has really um, started um, playing very nice with Israel. Did you guys just see the first part of this week? <clears throat> the first ever trade agreement between Israel and the UAE. First time ever. Oh, and by the way, America had nothing to do with it. And, and also, Israel is not going to have anything to do with Biden. Okay, just like they, just like all the Middle East countries. I talked about this a few weeks ago. Now, there's a lot of evidence of this out there, but you can't read American media news or, or watch American news. Um, <clears throat> when Trump was in office, he 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 worked very hard and made a lot of huge inroads into uh, relations between Israel and a lot of the Arab countries, because before that, Obama had completely destroyed any kind of relationship that America had with the Arab countries. Do you know why? One big reason. <clears throat> Who? Yeah, yeah, but that's not, that's not the reason he, that's the reason they were playing nice. That's the reason the other thing happened. But what happened to make all of the Arab countries, the Islamic countries, mad at Obama? Because of the Iran peace, the Iran nuclear deal. N nobody over there likes Iran. They're all scared of Iran. Obama gets in office and immediately starts cutting ties with all the other countries and, 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 and um, friending up Iran. And guys, this is all documented. You can, you can Google this stuff. It's all out there. In fact, a way to get it all, well, some of it condensed is uh, the book called uh, Enemies and Allies by Joel Rosenberg. Read that. It came out a year and a half ago, a year ago, something like that. And he documents all this stuff, all the things that Obama did that destroyed <clears throat> America's relations, not with Iran, but with UAE, Saudi Arabia, um, Egypt, Jordan. Jordan hated Obama. Made that very clear. So then... Um, Trump comes in, starts making nice, and the first time ever we saw two Islamic countries have a, a formal peace agreement with Israel. First time ever in the history of the world. And we heard almost nothing about it in America. Then Biden gets in and rekindles the agreement with Iran. This is disgusting stuff. Okay, I digress. 
<clears throat> so here's what I think happens. The 2300 days is the, is the uh, seven years minus about seven months. I think that's the time of the building of the temple. See, here's, here's something that, that people never pay attention to is they say, okay, um, the tribulation, seven years. They start having the sacrifices at the beginning of the seven years. The problem is they have to build the temple first. You're never going to be allowed to build the temple on the Dome of the Rock unless something happens to take the legs out from underneath all the Islamic countries. The Battle of Gog and Magog destroys all of the, uh, the armies of all of those countries. It specifically says that in Ezekiel 38. Destroys all of those armies, including the armies of Russia. So, now... Um, one of Joel Rosenberg's books, he fictionally describes all these missiles hitting all of these sites all over the world. There's no scriptural context for that. Okay? It doesn't say that in the Bible. It does say it will rain down from heaven and destroy all these armies, but it doesn't say all these sites. But the reason he writes that, I think, is because one of the missiles hits the Dome of the Rock and obliterates it. And that's where they build the temple. It really works. I like it, but it's fiction. Okay? So here's the reality, though. Um, the Dome of the Rock cannot be touched unless all of the armies of the Islamic countries are gone. And that happens in Ezekiel 38. And within, I believe, months, uh, we're going to have the, uh, the rapture, signing the peace treaty, starting the tribulation. And then uh, months is a guess. There's no timeline for it. And then the building of the temple. And then somewhere after the building of the temple, they start the sacrifices. And I believe we're already into the tribulation by that time. And I think it's about seven months. That's why the rest of it is 2,300 days. Because we know exactly how long the tribulation is. So why the 2,300 days? Because that doesn't match. And I think that's from the time they start the sacrifices until the, till the end of the tribulation. And that's when the, the temple is restored. That's just my thinking. What's that, Michael? Is it on? Oh, it's on now. Okay, all right, there we go. So I've, is I've pretty on? much heard. Now it is. Now it is. Are you sure? I'm sure. <laughs> okay. Um, I've always heard all my life that the Dome of the Rock kind of had to be destroyed, had to be destroyed. I'm just wondering now as you're speaking here that the temple being built by the Antichrist and, and, uh, and, and with help with the, the false prophet, why, they wouldn't, why it wouldn't be desecrated from the start and just incorporate the Dome of the Rock into it and just incorporate together in this one world, this, this one religion, where as part of the peace treaty, they're also getting the attention from the, um, from the Sunni Muslims that have signed these agreements and, uh, and the Sunnis that have been playing nice with Israel and, um, and, and just kind of incorporating them in instead of the big battles that you get as much with the Shias. And, the, uh, and I'm just wondering why it wouldn't just be, you know, somewhat desecrated right from the start, from the building of that, and Jesus has to fix the whole thing because it was built messed up. Well... So, in Ezekiel 39, we see the exact dimensions of the temple. 
So, and I don't think this is what you're saying, but so they're not going to use the Dome of the Rock as the temple. They can't. Yes. Well, it has to be exactly the dimensions or, or the Jews would not accept it. And therefore the Antichrist could not sacrifice in that temple. Even though it's all demonic, the Antichrist cannot sacrifice in the temple if it's not the Jewish temple. They would never recognize it. Okay. Um, plus, for the Jews to, to see what he does at the two and a half year, uh, three and a half year mark as a desecration, it has to be the temple. The desecration, if, they, if, he tried, if, if he said, I'm God, let's sacrifice in the Dome of the Rock, that would be the desecration. They wouldn't, they wouldn't get to the temple part. I'm just talking about, does it really need to be destroyed or could it just be incorporated? Because the rock is just the, the spot where the, the little story about Muhammad supposedly flying down and touching a rock, which never happened, um, was, um, is there to, to, to claim that spot, right? So I'm just wondering if it's if really the destruction, I mean, I'm not seeing any scripture that tells me it has to be destroyed. So I'm just wondering why it even does. You mean like build it beside it? Like incorporate it. Like you would incorporate something into your building, like into your building plan. You just incorporate it in. All you have to keep is the rock. You don't have to actually keep the mosque dome. Oh, yeah. You could just keep a little bit of it. Enough, enough to, I'm just saying enough that, and you're seeing all these, I'm just, you know, like I said, the, you're seeing all these moves from these specific countries that are trying to play nice. And I, I'm just wondering if that's all part of this. So just... Yeah, I don't know exactly how the rest of it worked. The only part I do know is that the temple has to be the exact size, exact dimensions and all that. I don't know how all that would incorporate in or out. I will throw something else out here that's kind of newer information. I'm saying in the last 15 years. Um, there, is, there are groups. I, I, was, I was by this place. You can't go to it without special permission because you cross the uh, boundary line over into, um, to, um, what's the Palestinian, what's that called? Gaza Strip. Um, but right, <clears throat> right down from the temple, right across the gate, the fence line into the Gaza Strip, they have found um, some stuff, and they're excavating this like crazy right now, that, that some, some Jewish theologians and Christian theologians believe that the Dome of the Rock is not the actual site of the, the second temple, first and second temple. Therefore, it can't be the site of the third temple um, because of s some archaeological evidence that they've found. If that's true, if that's the case, then that would put the Jewish temple not on the Dome of the Rock, and if you just want to look, at, look this up and study it, I've studied I've got some videos in my office. I've got a couple books. I think it's very interesting. I'm, not, I'm just not totally convinced because for so long people have thought the Dome of the Rock was the third, the place for the third temple because it was the first and second. But you can, you can Google um, um, City of David, new location for the temple, something along those lines. And it describes how the place that the Dome of the Rock is sitting on was actually the... Um, soldiers, um, the 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 soldiers' barracks. I can't think of the like the whatever it's called, and that and, and there's scripture to back this up, because it says that um, they came they, that they came down to into Jerusalem, and that would be the soldiers' area coming down, which if, you just have to study. It's too much for me to explain right now. It's some legitimate stuff. I don't necessarily. I'm not convinced. 
Um, but I'm not counting it out. It just seems kind of, was somebody back there going to say something? Yes, ma'am. Really quick one for you. Um, I must have missed it. When is the battle of Gog and Magog? Like where in the timeline? Is that the beginning? <clears throat> that is before all the other stuff. Battle of Gog and Magog is, it, that's, like the, that's like the big thing that kind of kicks off all the other event, events. Um, it's in the last days. That's all we know. We know it hasn't happened yet. Um, and it happens before the um, building of the temple, before the signing of the peace treaty, and um, before the rapture. So it happens sometime in the first three and a half years. Before the first three and a half before years. Before the three and a half years. Yeah. Well, yes. Okay. So I, when I say the rapture, I'm pre-tribulation rapture. So right. that happens before the signing of the peace treaty, according to pre-tribulation. If you're not, take the rapture out of the subject and we know for sure that it happens before the signing of the peace treaty, before the tribulation. Okay. okay? Those, are, those really are non-negotiables in Scripture. When you think the rapture happens can have some, some uh, discussion, debate. Um, but the other two are pretty clear in Scripture. Signing a peace treaty, tribulation. The battle of Gog and Magog happens sometime between today and that moment. And we don't know how long. And I, and I did mention, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to do some teaching on that. Ezekiel 38 and 39 too. Or 36, 37, 38, uh, 39. Okay, verse 15. As I, Daniel, was trying to understand the meaning of this vision, someone who looked like a man stood in front of me. And I heard a human voice calling out from the Lie River. <clears throat> Gabriel, tell this man the meaning of his vision. So who is this man standing in front of Daniel? No. It's not the right one. Let me read it again, because I just told you. Gabriel, yeah. As I heard a human voice calling out from the Eli River, Gabriel, the guy standing in front of Daniel, tell this man the meaning of this vision. As Gabriel approached the place where I was standing, I became so terrified that I fell with my face to the ground. Son of man, he said, you must understand the events you have seen in your vision that the events in your, that you've seen in your vision relate to the end, the time of the end. This is why, <clears throat> I've said this quite a few times, this is why, verse 17, we know that the stuff that we're looking at um, includes some past stuff because it includes Medo-Persia, Greece. You know, there's something else too. Um, well, we'll get to that because he's going to talk about this. But we also know that some of the things that we're seeing, which I believe is what we just saw in verse 10 and some of these other things, that this is the, the time of the end. How do we know it? He says, this is the time of the end. Okay, it's, it's, hard to, uh, it's hard to debate that. While he was speaking, I fainted and lay there with my face to the ground. <clears throat> but Gabriel roused me with a touch and helped me to my feet. Then he said, I'm here to tell you what will happen later in the time of wrath. What is the time of wrath? Tribulation. What you have seen pertains to the very end of time. That last seven years is the very end. He's, he's obviously not talking about the, um, the millennial reign because this stuff doesn't happen in the millennial reign. It happens before the millennial reign. There's, there's not bad stuff happening during the millennial reign. Jesus is ruling uh, during the millennial reign, okay? 
The, um, <clears throat> the two-horned ram represents the kings of Media and Persia. The shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece. Now, this is interesting because this is the New Living Translation, and it uses the word Greece here. You realize when this was written, there was no Greece. Right? Anybody know what word is actually used here? It's not Greece. We translate that into Greece now because we know where the, the, um, the, the spaces are. We know where the land is. Huh? Yes, Havan. You, were, you, you read it properly. I was like, Daniel's on fire, except he said it like it was red. <laughs> so this is the land <clears throat> that we call Greece, but it wasn't called Greece then. It wasn't called Greece in Daniel 2 or Daniel 7. In Daniel 2, it was actually in Arabic. But, oh, I thought maybe you spoke that. So, so here's the thing is we're using the word Greece, but this is not the word. And if you take what we call Greece during the Greco-Roman Empire... Uh, the boundaries that you would use for the terminology of Havan is, not, is, a, is a much bigger area than the terminology we would use for Greece. Okay, the shaggy male goat represents the king of Greece, and the large horn between his eyes represents the first king of the Greek empire. Now here's where it gets a little muddy. Because a while ago, <clears throat> Michael said it was who? <laughs> yes, he did, but that was a different question and not what we're talking about here. Who is the ruler of the Greek empire that smashes Alexander the Great? And it says here, now this is where it gets a little tricky. It says here that the, horn, the large horn between the eyes of the goat that smashes Medo-Persia, which we see as Alexander the Great, represents the first king of the Greek empire. Was Alexander the first king of the Greek empire? No, not even close. He was like the 20th something. So what do we do with that? Now, I have some suppositions, but here's the thing. When people wrap this up nice and neat, and they say, well, that's Alexander the Great and those four kingdoms that came from him and epiphanies and all that stuff, they're, they're guessing on about half of it. Those strong numbers. <clears throat> okay. When you look up Strong's number, 7223, seven, two, two, <laughs> Rishon, the, the Hebrew word, it means first or chief. Okay. The chief king. The chief king of the Greek empire. I think we're getting closer. Right? But guys, the reason I'm saying this is because when you're, when you're looking at some of this stuff and, and you see these guys that wrap it up nice and neat, 2 plus 2 equals 4, and that's it. That's the end of the story. That proves right there they're already wrong. Assume that. When they say this is the way it works, there's no other way it can work. This, they're wrong. Because to get Alexander the Great as the first king of the Greek empire, you got to kind of massage this a little bit and come to a conclusion from a lot of other things that this could possibly be Alexander the Great. <clears throat> Does that make sense? Because <clears throat> he wasn't the first. 
Now, depending on how you look at the term Greek empire, and as the empire starts moving, he would be potentially the first, or, or to also to mix up what Michael th- said in here too, if you put the main emperor of the new burgeoning Greek empire, then yeah, that would be Alexander the Great. And he would work there. Does that make sense? All right, four prominent horns that replace the one large horn show that the Greek empire will break into four kingdoms, but none as great as the first. And that appears to be the four kingdoms that come from Alexander the Great. Okay? At the end of their rule, when the sin... When their sin is at its height, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. He will become very strong, but not by his own power. He will cause a shocking amount of destruction and succeed in everything he does. He will destroy powerful leaders and devastate the holy people. He will be a master of deception and will become arrogant. He will destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle. Now, up until that sentence... You can, be, you can be describing, well, almost about 80% to 85% describing Antigonus epiphanies. There's a couple of reasons that it can't be. Um, uh, it will say, it says, um, a fierce king, a master of intrigue, will rise to power. <clears throat> Antigonus already had power, more power than the other four kings. So this isn't an exact description, okay? He will become very strong. He already was very strong. Um, he will destroy, does all this stuff. Everything else fits, master deception, arrogant, destroy many without warning. He will even take on the prince of princes in battle. Antigonus didn't fight the prince of princes. Who is the prince of princes? Let me use a different term, king of kings. It's Jesus. Antigonus didn't fight him. Okay, but everything else fits. This is this is why I'm saying this. These things are running parallel. This is this is future and present happening at the same time. We see where God does this all through Scripture, where He's talking about one thing and another thing at the same time. That's the whole story of Joseph, right? Okay, um, but He will be broken, though not by human power. What is the not human power that destroys? The person that fights the prince of princes. It's in Daniel 2. The rock that is Jesus. Okay? The vision about the 2300 evenings and mornings is true. But none of these things will happen for a long time, so keep this vision a secret. And and Daniel did a good job, except we're reading it. So he did a good job for a while. We don't know how long. Then I, Daniel, was overcome and lay sick for several days. Afterwards, I got up and performed my duties for the king, but I was greatly troubled by the vision and could not understand it. And let me, let me throw this out here because I think this is important for us to always keep in mind. When, <clears throat> as I said earlier, maybe this, this is complete speculation. Maybe Putin is getting sick and he'll have a, last-ditch effort, or maybe he dies, and then um, the four horns rise up, and from one of those, the Antichrist comes in, backing up to Daniel 7, the ten kingdoms, and the Antichrist rises up. 
There are many people that believe that Gog is the Antichrist and Magog is, is Russia. And that Gog comes from the roots of the um, Roman Empire. I, I don't necessarily believe that because they believe that the Roman Empire would be resurrected. And I don't believe that. I believe it's the Islamic um, caliphate, the Islamic uh, power. So I believe that the Antichrist is going to rise up from that. Ten, ten Islamic kingdoms. But he's going to connect with Magog, Russia, and Iran and Russia are going to be together. So I think, because of the Islamic slant, I think that Gog is going to, to be a Muslim maybe from Russia, connected directly with Iran or something. We know that there has to be a connection with Iran. We just don't know what it is. Okay, So that's all speculation. But... Here's what we are seeing. We know that, the, that all this stuff is set up. I believe as the ten horns or the ten kingdoms become clear to us, which I don't think they're clear right now. I don't think it's a resurrection of the Roman Empire. And I think that's what people are looking at too much, and they're going to miss it. Because I think it's Islam. When the ten Islamic kingdoms or whatever rise up, and then they begin to splinter, and all of a sudden the Antichrist pops to the surface I think that, that we will see it and we will know it as it's happening. I don't think we have enough information right now for this to have, for us to know this stuff. We know the battle of Gog and Magog. We know the, the um, 70 to 80 years from Israel. We know the signing of the peace treaty. We know all that stuff. What we don't know is exactly who these ten kingdoms are. It's speculation at this point. And we don't know exactly the, the, how the Antichrist roots out the other horns and comes up. But we do see it's mentioned um, multiple times here in Daniel now. Um, I saw over here first, Aiden, I think. I'm sorry, I, I can't hear you, Aiden. With Putin in the, is, this, is it on? I don't know, is it on? Sure, why not? With, with, with Putin in the situation that he's in with Ukraine right now, do you think he could extend himself to go in and fight another front um, with Iran against Israel? I think the only way that, he, that Putin can move... Okay, now, now we're assuming some things. That Putin could be the, the um, leader of Magog in the end, okay? That's why, I'm, that's why I'm bringing the fact that he's sick. A lot could change if he dies. A lot could change instantly worldwide. But let's just assume that, that somehow Putin is the guy leading Magog in Ezekiel 38, 30, 38 okay? Okay. Um, He'll need Iran to do this. He can't do it without Iran. Um, before, if you would have looked in the during the cold, if you would have looked in the mid '80s, Iran would never have. I mean, Russia would never have made an agreement with Iran. They thought they were everything. They would never have done that. But it's to the point now where Russia has to have not for Ukraine. Ukraine is nothing militarily to Russia, but to march all the way to Iran. To get all the way there, they're going to have to do some other things. I mean, to Israel. And I think they're going to need Iran. And also, too, I mean, and this is somewhat beside the point. For Russia to march through the southern Caucasus is all but impossible to go through Iran. Um, I don't necessarily think that he's going to go through Iran. I think he's going to um, come down south. Georgia, what have you, that's all in the Caucasus, and it's very, very difficult to, for a military to go through the Caucasus, as history has shown. Um, except that they're doing that right now in Ukraine. Not going to 
No. That's what I thought, but you can't go to the top. I'm sorry. Uh, <clears throat> let me finish your thought. You're concluding. Uh, I can bring this up later. It's no big deal. No, what you're saying is legitimate. There's two, there's two problems. I don't think that he has to go that direction. He's just going to go straight, what is that, south, east, southeast down into um, Israel. And then Iran's just going to come across, okay? He doesn't have to worry about all that other stuff. Plus, here's something that, that you're, we're also, all of this is supposition. Again, here's something else is we're looking at it as it is right now. Things. That's why I'm saying, if if Putin is really dying, that literally could change the face of everything over there. Instantly, overnight, change the face of everything. What happens if a a stronger military tyrant mentality than Putin gets it? Putin really is kind of diplomatic, comparatively. What happens if that changes? I mean, you just never know. Plus, what happens if, if um, Russia takes Ukraine? Let's, let's look at this. When, not if, when Russia takes Ukraine and they finish that up, how many countries are immediately going to genuflect to Russia and give themselves over? Immediately. Some have already said they're going to. Yeah. You don't have to worry about all of that. Um, but even like Poland is, is acting like they're going to be on board with Russia. One day they're on board, one day they're not. I don't, I don't understand that mindset, but except they're scared. They're scared of Russia. And guys, also remember, any country that became part of NATO can only have 15,000 troops. I'm sorry, I'm saying that wrong. They have to give NATO 15,000 of their troops. Well, some of these countries don't have much more than that. Remember that we... we I, we talked, I was talking to Yoan, that goes to church here, about this. That all those NATO, he said that his own country doesn't have any armament anymore. You have, to give, you have to give a certain amount to NATO. Well, that makes it easy for Russia to come through these countries. Yes. Yes, ma'am. Going back to where the Antichrist is actually coming from. So you said that there was the four <coughs> horns from Alexander the Great. The, the four places that come up. That is not where you're saying you think it comes from. You think it actually comes from the ten nations. We're looking at two things at the same time. We do know that the four horns from Alexander the Great, well, what looks fairly strong in Scripture, that that is the four kingdoms from Alexander the Great. The horn that comes up from the end is Antigonus Epiphanes, I believe. But he's not the Antichrist. There is also the duality of the, the one of these horns is the Antichrist also. Okay, which from the ten horns, the horn that, that comes up out of the ten horns is the Antichrist. Those are the same thing. Okay, so and I believe these ten horns are Islamic countries, not Roman Empire countries. Now, there are a lot of people that believe they're Roman Empire countries. The Roman Empire is re-ignited uh, and rebuilt. And all. I don't believe that. It's a legitimate conversation. So the four are the same thing as the ten? Yes. Okay. Well, they become that, yes. Because the four are the kingdoms of Alexander the Great, but that one horn is the Antichrist. We just read that. It, that cannot, everything that's described there cannot be Antigonus by himself. But we're seeing a picture of that unfold before Jesus. Then we also see the later picture out of Daniel 2 and 7 that show us that you have the ten kingdoms, 
where the Antichrist comes up. But it's the exact same language. It comes from the ten horns. That one horn pops up out of the ten horns that break into four first. Okay? So you're looking at something in a temporal time frame stretching all the way into um, end times too. And we know that because he says three different times there, this is the end time we're talking about. Because why? The Lord knows Antigonus Epiphanes is going to fulfill some of this with Alexander the Great. So he has to keep reminding us, guys, don't just stop there. This is end times we're talking about. He keeps bringing us back to that. Yeah, we just don't know when. I believe there are Islamic nations and um, kind of the normal way of looking at it for many decades now has been that it's Roman. And I don't believe it is. Okay. All right. Mike, did you have something also? Are you just resting? All right. So we need to end here because it's late. Um, did want to let you know that uh, they put the AC unit on top of the building tonight, today. And um, so electrician had to come unhook the electricity. Then a separate company came put the air conditioner up. Now the electric company has to come back and hook up the electricity. That's called union. So, <clears throat> so that's going to be um, by Sunday. Hopefully we'll have AC. And... So it's going to snow Saturday night. Because these are dual, it is AC and heat, but we have no gas going to it because the previous ones were only AC. So, um, yeah, we, it, it can heat, but it won't heat until we get the gas line to it. So, All right, how are we going to pray about this? We're, this is a lot of stuff, and it's not directly affecting us right now today in Colorado Springs. So how do we, how do we pray about this? Because God did tell us this stuff for our life, for us to get in and investigate and study and learn and all this stuff. So how does it translate into tomorrow and the next day? Yeah. You, you know the reason that God has these things, because it's not the only place. It's all through the Old Testament, all through the New Testament. The reason Jesus tells us this when he quotes Daniel 7 is... That we need to be ready. You know, the, the way King James says it, look up for our redemption draweth nigh. Jesus is coming. Let's stay focused on that. You say, what if he doesn't come for another thousand years? He will come for you personally at the end of your life. You should always be looking up because Jesus' connection with you is always imminent. Even if... Because we talked about this. Paul and Peter thought Jesus would come back in their day, right? You're supposed to think that too. Not, not think it, but not really. Guys, that's not honesty. You're supposed to be expecting Jesus to come back during your lifetime. Now that all this stuff is being fulfilled, you better expect it with more reality. But you are going to die someday, and so therefore you your last generation is the last day you breathe. You better be looking for Jesus. Right? So let's pray. God, we, we submit ourselves to you. That Jesus, you're the king. Lord, the whole of all of creation will bow before you someday. Because you're the king. You're the king of every king. 
You're the king of every nation. You're the king of every people group throughout time. And Lord, you're the king right now. Even with everything going on in the world right now, Lord, all these people that are, that are trying to control the world and reset and everything, they are, they are small little nothings in comparison to you. You're the king. God, the presidents of countries, the Fauci's and the FBI and all these other, they are nothing compared to you. And so, Lord, we look up to you that you're the redeemer, the savior. You're the resurrected one. And someday you're going to resurrect us. Lord, we are looking toward that. We are looking toward that with our soul and our mind, our life. God, help us to keep our focus on you so that, so that sin will not easily trip us up. God, we thank you so much for loving us, for giving us the cross, for saving us. Jesus, we're, we're humbled and indebted, and you're amazing. And God, I pray, stir our hearts to tell somebody, to tell somebody about you. Put an urgency in our spirit. And God, if, they, if they're interested in, in end time stuff, help us to use this, not to talk to them about end times, but to talk to them about you and to, to stir their hearts for you. And we thank you for this in the name of Jesus. And let it keep raining. Amen. All right. Go home.